thankful for the faithfulness of our God. Come on, let's give him praise in this house today. He's worthy of every hallelujah. He's worthy of every amen. He's worthy of every hand clap. He's worthy of the shout that will come from your lips. He's worthy of all of that praise today. How many thankful that the promises of the Lord, they stand, they last, amen. They are yea and amen. They're settled. The promises of God. You and I are recipients of those promises. If you're thankful for that, let me see you wave your hand a little bit in. Yes, thankfulness all over the house. The Bible says, enter into His gates with thanksgiving. You don't come with anything else. Come with thanksgiving. Be thankful for something. Amen. Thankful that you got up this morning. Thankful that you have breath in your lungs. Thankful that your heart is still beating. Thankful that you have a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Amen. The Bible tells us to come into His courts with praise. And so... If you are new to this type of atmosphere, we're just doing what the Bible tells us to do. Amen. And that is come with thanksgiving and with praise. And that's exactly what has been happening here the last 30 or 40 minutes. Amen. Our students can be dismissed. They're headed out. They had a wonderful time at Holiday Youth Convention the last few days. And many of us saw pictures and we saw videos of them worshiping and being ministered to and being prayed for and just encountering God in a new way and we're thankful for all of those that work with our students that were willing to take them for the last few days and we're so thankful that God touched every one of them amen that their lives were touched in a mighty way Marley are you staying in here are you headed out okay all right I'm just checking on you. Amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, let's turn together to the book of Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, while you're turning there, it's been our privilege the last few days to have a bunch of college students in our home. Let's see, we've had seven, six one that already left, so seven, and then the uh, four of us. We've had, 11, we had about 11 or 12 people in our home the last few days. They've been sleeping everywhere. They, the couches and blow-up mattresses and all kinds of 
all kinds of fun in our home. But many of you know Pastor and Sister Jason Watts, who have been with us on a number of occasions. Their oldest daughter, Camberlin, is here, who Lisa and I have known her whole life. Her whole life. And we often tell the story of when her younger brother was born. Her mom and dad were pastoring about an hour or so from us in North Carolina. And they called. Carisha had gone into labor and they had no one to take care of Camberlin in the middle of the night. And so Lisa and I jumped up, drove an hour to pick her up. And we were babysitting her while her younger brother was being born. And so this is like family. And we've been close for for many, many years. And she has several friends with her. And I won't embarrass them all. But uh, the real short one right here on the end, his uncle and I were roommates our very first semester of Bible college in the fall of 1984. So I've known his family all the way, what is that, two or three years ago? So just two or three years ago, and the guy beside him, I've known his parents, and I'm not even going to continue to go down this list, but when he was about eight, his mom and dad came to our church with their family in Fayetteville, North Carolina and spent some time with us there. And we went to Ohio and preached at the church they serve in. And so there's just all kinds of connections here. And awesome to have these young folks with us. And they're all in Urshan Bible College or University or what do you guys call it now? It used to be Gateway. What is it? Ur- just Urshan? Urshan College? Nursing graduate school, they're, they're just, they're in St. Louis living it up. Amen. So they, they came to stay a few days with us, and we're really glad because Megan opened up that door. She wanted a whole bunch of friends to come over, and, and they're all here. And so my wife's been fixing food, baking stuff, and, and just trying to uh, get some sleep at night as they're playing spoons. And I don't know what, all I know is it gets loud, and the dogs go crazy, and, and my wife and I feel young once again. Amen. Good to have all of you, and we're glad you are, glad you're here. Now, I'm going to be reading today Isaiah 26, verse 9 and 10, and I am reading out of the English Standard Version, so the ESV. If you're following along in a King James Version or so, some other version, then you may uh, see some differences there. But I'm reading this uh, scripture today, Isaiah 26, 9 and 10 out of the ESV. The Bible says, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments, follow follow the text here, when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. So without His judgments in the earth, people will never be able to come to an understanding of what real right living is all about. Righteousness. So when folks are all about removing the judgments of God, removing the principles of God, removing the Word of God, in effect what's happening is they're removing the potential and the possibility of ever living right or being righteous. 
We say, well, how, how did we get to where we are as a society? Well, slowly but surely, the judgments of God have been removed out of the earth. And when people are left to their own decisions, without His judgments present, they will never live in accordance to His expectations. He says this, if favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. So, if an individual that's living any way that they want to live, if they're just ignored, overlooked, or treated as though the way you're living doesn't matter, and it's okay, that's Not just what society is telling us, but this is also what the religious world is telling us. Live any way that you want to live, it's okay. This is what the Bible said. If you do that, favor is not shown to the wicked person. And that individual will never learn to live right. Well, I don't want any expectations. I don't want any boundaries. I don't want any goes on, in the land of uprightness he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. And so I'm going to get into some of this here in a few moments, but before we launch in, I'll just say this, that it is impossible to see the majesty of God if you refuse to live right. You will never see or experience or have all that God has intended for your life if you're determined just to live life on your own terms. So I want to talk to you for a little while today from this thought. Shortcuts, shortcuts aren't always the best option. Shortcuts, and I could say it this way to be proper, are not always the best option. But I want to hold your attention, so I'm going to say aren't. Shortcuts aren't always the best option. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And we are living in a, in a day of great advancement. I think we would all agree with that. We're living in a day of incredible discovery and technology that is advancing like never before. But in the middle of all of this, there are distractions that abound in unprecedented ways. Distractions uh, are all around us. They're ever present before us. And I'll take just a moment to qualify that statement. Last year, about this time, I began reading a, a book concerning some of the specifics of how individually damaging all of our proposed connectedness really is. So I began to study about this connectedness that we're all after and what people are trying to uh, come at to and settle in on that, that it really is more damaging than it is helpful. And so as I started into this, I found that recent numbers would state that the average person picks up their cell phone around 40 times a day with a usage that equates to about three plus hours. 
The average individual will pick up their cell phone 40 times a day and the time that they pick that phone up and look at it for whatever reason will equate to about three hours per individual every day. Now, the startling finding in all of that, and our students are out today, is this time spent on our phones increased to nine hours a day per student. So if your average adult is spending three hours plus on their phone a day, students are spending nine hours a day picking their phones up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. But it's only a few minutes, but a few minutes times 40. And a few minutes, they say some people are to the place where they pick it up 85 times a day. We want to be connected. We want to stay in touch. We want to be informed. And so I say that if we're not careful we will experience individual damage in our life because of the advancements, because of the discoveries, because of the technology and the distractions that are around us. Now, I quote this. The founding, the founding president of Facebook said this. The thought process that went into building these applications, social media, the connectedness, the very founder of Facebook said, the thought process that went into building these applications was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. So it's not just we want everybody to be connected with people that they knew in the past and people and things that are going on right now so they can stay informed. The thought process behind it was we want to take and consume as much time and conscious attention as possible. And he goes on to say, and that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while. And I don't have time to explain all of that. But I will say this as he went on. When people, he quotes, because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever you did, when you see the like, when you see the comment, physiologically, psychologically, and many other ways, there is a release of dopamine from your brain into your body that gives you a moment of a high or an excitement. Well, it's just, we're just connected. No, no. There's much more to this than that. We want to consume as much time in your life as possible. We want to literally, he said, own your conscious attention. This is, this is what was behind it. Now this is really disturbing, but mental health experts are now declaring 
the spike that we've seen in youth suicide are directly linked, and other epidemics that are currently going on in this hour are directly linked to the persistent voices from the outside and constant synthetic connections. Just because you're connected through this does not equate or mean that you're actually connected to that individual. And the synthetic connections and these outside voices that are coming in literally, literally have caused a spike in suicide among youth. And they do this, these synthetic connections and these outside voices, with the assumption, they said, to enhance life. So if I stay connected with everybody, my life is better. It enhances my life is what we're told. But the truth is, my thoughts are being controlled. My time is being controlled. My consciousness is being attacked, if you will, and directed a different way. And this is supposed to make me feel like that my life is enhanced and that my existence is better. So last year about this time, I dove into a lengthy study on some of these things. And in fact, I preached an entire message along these lines at a student conference on the West Coast at the end of January last year. And then all of a sudden, COVID hit. And our worlds were turned upside down. And what happened in all of that is that we found ourselves scrambling to adjust. But scrambling to adjust, we became even more committed to these things and these things and other synthetic connectors so that we could survive for eight or ten months. But as we are getting to the end of this, we're seeing now that people are not happy, people are not excited, people are not feeling great. They're actually taxed and stressed and anxiety is up. And, and, and all of these feelings of uncertainty have made their way back into our lives. And for the remaining part of last, or most of the part of last year, we were just rolling with the punches. Let me see the hands of those that were just rolling with the punches. You, you were trying not to be literally leveled in it all, and you were just rolling with the punches that were coming into your life. And that's, that's where we all were. And so in the last few weeks of 2020... I once again found myself knee-deep in a read and a study of the importance and the impact of solitude as it relates to leadership. And, and, and that was an interesting study. I want to share this with you because I found this interesting in my time of research. Many of us know the name of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And this is a big month for that name in the next few weeks and I was reading along the lines of some of his past. And for those that do not know the story, I'll just quickly run through a key factor in his, in his life. Martin Luther wasn't lining up to be the first one to lead the charge in what we know as the civil rights movement. So if you think that, you need to go back and study history. He actually was a pastor 
that put him in a location that became a hotbed because of the actions of Rosa Parks and others, put him right in the middle of what was going on in the Deep South in the uh, late, late 55 or so or somewhere around there. And he was sought out because there was no one else that would step up with his credentials and with his ability to speak and his persuasiveness and being a local pastor in the community, he was singled out and called upon to be a spokesman, if you will, and he was apprehensive about it and was not one that was jumping in on the front line saying, let's do this. That's not the way it started with him. Right? He was going through his life, through his ministry, raising his family, trying to do the best for his community, and things began to uh, unwind in his community, and he's called on in the middle of all of that, and he has to be persuaded to even be involved. And he never saw himself as the leader of a movement or to even become the man that we know him as today. He thought it was just going to be a short stint to rally the people in his local congregation with neighboring congregations that may be able to come together and have some kind of voice, but he was one of many players, not the man that we know today. And because of this, he came under tremendous attack and his family came under attack. His life was threatened and all of these things began to happen to him. And it's on a night, late at night, at the end about the 26th or 27th of January, 1956. So how many, that's a long time ago, folks. 65 years. End of January, he was literally ready to give up. He had been persuaded, coerced to be involved and he didn't like what was going on. He didn't know if he wanted his name used. He wasn't sure if he could make any headway at all. His family is under attack. His life is being threatened. Craziness is happening in the world and his world at that time. And he's literally on the 26th or 7th of January 1956 ready to give up by his own admission. Quit. I'm done. No more of this. He's threatened, he's worn out, and he's personally attacked. It was at this point that he realized the need, hear me now, he realized the need to grow more deeply in his faith. This is, this is by his own admission. He's a pastor, he's educated, he's leading people, he has a family, but he's at the point of giving up and all of a sudden he thinks, I have to go deeper in my faith. And I quote, I discovered, he said, I discovered then that religion had become real to me and I had to know for myself and I bowed down over a cup of coffee sitting at his kitchen table, the middle of the night, ready to give up, did not want to be responsible for everything that was going on, about to quit, and he said, I bowed down over a cup of coffee, and he said, I will never forget it. I prayed a prayer. 
Isn't it interesting how prayer can change things? When you're at the point of giving up. He said, I prayed a prayer and I prayed out loud. And I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause that we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And I can't let the people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. So when you, when you see all these things about where he was and I have a dream, and before all that happened, he was a man sitting in the middle of the night crying out to God saying, I think I'm right, <laughs> but I'm down here and I'm struggling. And I'm weak. And I can't let anybody see this because if they see this, they'll be weak too. And interestingly enough, while he's praying this prayer, he said, I received an answer. And I quote, And it seemed at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even unto the end of the world. He said, I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. And at once, he said, my fear began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. And never again, never again would he fear bombings or any other harm his adversaries could do to him. It was literally within days that bottles were thrown on his front porch and blew out the front of his house. And after that one experience, it never shook him again. And what we know as a great leader today emerged out of a moment when he was ready to give up, but he cried out to God, and God confirmed a constant presence in his life. And Martin Luther ended up giving his life for a cause that he would never really see the end result of his sacrifice. Now, that's interesting to me. So my... my 2020 was bookend by this type of, of search and this type of study. And it benefited me because I had time to reflect and, and things that could potentially interfere. I refused to allow those things to interfere into my life. And so I know what many of you are thinking right now. Well, my year was something different than that. That's okay. You have your vocation. You have your calling. You have your life. And I have mine. But this is the path that mine was on last year. In between the bookends of the things that I've described to you, we were just filled with survival. We just have to somehow get through all of this. This is, this is the text that I read to you out of Isaiah where... This man of God, he, he reveals where he was and he said, My soul yearns for you in the night. 
Some of us have tried to live through dark nights of late. And it's been the middle of the night that you cried out to God, Oh, if only I could hear from you. If only you would show up. The writer said, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. This pursuit is highlighted here in our text, this 26th chapter, verse 9 and 10. The pursuit is highlighted and what is being mentioned can only transpire through thoughtfulness. And it can only transpire through being deliberate. If you're picking this up unconsciously 40 times a day, you're spending three hours a day, if your students are spending nine hours a day in a synthetic world, hearing the voices and opinions of other people that you may or may not ever meet in your lifetime, and you have no time for God, I would say that you're not being very deliberate about the way you're living. You're not being very thoughtful about the way you're living. You're allowing outside voices to consume your consciousness. You're allowing things that can never make a difference for you to come into your life and control you. No wonder you're depressed. No wonder you're ready to give up. No wonder you're stressed and burdened and overwhelmed because all you've been looking at and hearing about is trouble and trial and problem and circumstance and situation that you and I cannot change. And it would be, be mind-blowing to know the amount of news that you and I have consumed collectively in the last quarter of 2020. And most of it was full of lies and junk. Hello? Did you make it through your Bible last year? Did you push the plate back any last year? Did you witness to anybody? Did you lead anybody? Come on, hear me right now. It's the first Sunday of the year. We're going to head into 2021 just with a, a, a reset, if you will. Because we can easily be controlled by all of these other distractions. No one will ever accidentally or aimlessly achieve spiritual communion. If you, will, if you, if you commune with God, you will do that deliberately. You will do that with thoughtfulness. You will not accidentally have a walk with God. You will not accidentally be close to Him. You will not aimlessly fall into a great relationship with God. Doesn't happen. Never will happen. Don't think that you're going to change that. If there's not deliberates and thoughtfulness about it, He said, there's a yearning in me. He said, there is this earnest 
desire. I have this desire to commune with Him in the midnight hour. I have this desire to be in connection with Him. God help me today to deliver this to you like He wants me to. We cannot allow everything else around us to take precedent in our life and our walk with God somehow go awry and we throw our hands up in disgust and question wondering why things aren't different or why things aren't better. The change we so desperately long for in the earth is predicated on the level of spirituality in heaven's followers. Hey, if they're not seeing it, why would they ever be hungry for it? If, there, if there's nothing that's displaying it in their life, if you've joined in with all the negativity, if you've joined in with all of the false rhetoric, if you've joined in with all of the stuff that's not going to help anybody, no wonder your family isn't being led to the cross. No wonder the people that you work with see no wisdom witness and testimony in your life because you're no different than them you're offering nothing else than what they're already accustomed to and so it really is past time everybody say it's past time for all of us those of us that call ourselves children of this king that we rise up shout rise up that we rise up with a renewed desire to exemplify and to display the judgments of the Most High in a contemporary context. How are they ever going to see the judgments of this God in the earth without a witness, without a testimony, without a saint, without a follower that would go to their job and talk different and look different and act different and conduct their life different? How is your family ever going to see what the judgments of God are even supposed to be if you and I don't live it out before them and if the judgments of the most high are not in the earth then you might as well count righteousness out because nobody will ever want to change or even see that there's potential or possibility to change well that's just pastor's job well that's just the leader's job No, that's everybody that names Christ's job. To display what He's done in your life to the degree that people around you can say, there's something different about Holly. There's something different about Barry. I don't know what it is. I'll tell you what it is. It's an example of the judgments of God in the earth and people coming to an understanding to say, there is a better way to live. There is a different path that I can walk on. So... I I have to hurry on here, but I ask the question, can others, better yet, can those in your immediate everyday world see righteousness in your life? Can they see a difference in you today than they did the day you came to God? Because if they can't, you're not being the example that He wants you to be. If they can't see it in my life, then why would they ever want something that 20 years later has done nothing to benefit me? And they say, i got to commit to all that. It's not going to do anything for your life. It will never help you if you don't line up. But if you line up, the favor of God all of a sudden will be released in your life and blessings like you've never known will come into you. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Is your true faith on display? I said, is your true 
faith on display? You know what my prayer is? My prayer is this, Lord, let those that are members of Vertical Church, let them somehow, somehow, somehow through the prompting of the Spirit or the preached Word of God, let them not complicate, not complicate the visible representation you so desire and have ordained for this house. I don't want to be in the way. I, 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 I don't want to stand in the way of sinners. I don't want to sit in the seat of the scornful. I want my delight to be in the... Are you hearing me? We can complicate people's... We can complicate their vision. We can cause them to be so misled because we say one thing and we do something else. Please let your life measure up and match up to what you profess. If you say, I'm a child of God, then reflect the image of the God that you say you're a child of. Megan, come here. Come on, folk, take your mask off. She looks like me. Huh? She looks like me. And if you knew my mother, I look exactly like my mother that we buried three weeks ago. Because your children look like you. If you look more like the world than Him, then you are complicating the process for people to see the judgments of God in the earth and making it impossible for right living to ever be a part of their life. I don't want to fall into that trap. I don't want to be so caught up on synthetic experiences. I don't want to be so caught up in the opinions of those that have no idea of where I truly am, giving me advice about what I need to do in these major life decisions. Let me find a place over a cup of coffee, if you will, in the middle of the night when I'm at the place of saying, I can't take it anymore. I can't go on anymore. I need you and God. Something inside of me desiring and yearning and reaching out where he says I'll meet you right there I'll move in your situation right there I'll come to your rescue right there and I'll turn every impossibility of your life around we have to have those moments somebody shout those moments come on favor isn't granted to us in spite of our wickedness do what you want to do and God's still going to bless you lie 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 Liar, liar, pants on fire. Not true. Do what you want. You're still going to have the favor of God. No, you won't. If that's the case, tear that page out of your Bible. And say, that's an inspired word that is not necessary. And I'll take it up from him, with Him when I get there. Really? <laughs> you want to have that conversation? God doesn't just sweep in 
and ignore all the principles of His Word and ignore all the truths of His Word and ignore everything that He's laid out here just to change some situation in your life because He loves you better than everybody else and you just have a problem doing that and so He'll overlook it and say, well, for you, you don't have to do that. I'm going to ignore all these things. I'm going to bless you anyway, my baby. I'm going to bless you. No. 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 You want the reward of heaven in your life? Then follow the principles of God's Word. Live your life in a way where there's nothing that could stop the heavens being open and the blessings of God being poured out into your situation. Come on and give Him a hand clap of praise. This is what Romans says. Romans 14 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness... Righteousness, righteousness, can you claim kingdom? Ownership, kingdom, partnership, kingdom, put whatever you want. Can you claim that? Claim all of these things and think that it's attained through meat and drink? No. It's through the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Say, well, man, you're preaching hard to us today. I'm just trying to tell you, if you'll let the Holy Ghost have its way in your life, what seems to be hard right now will become so easy, amen, living the way you should and becoming the person that God wants you to be. But when you try to do it on your own, it gets so hard and so difficult. And listen, it becomes so man-made and so legalistic. Pastor's preaching so hard to us. That's just legalism. No, you need a good baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when you get a good baptism of the Holy Ghost, revelation will come to your mind and you'll understand understand it's not legalism it's not preaching a hard line it's not against anybody it's saying if we ever needed a church to rise up and live right we need a church to rise up and live right in 2021 because people all around us are losing their way and they're losing their lives and they're headed off into eternity without hope we're not here to spin our wheels We're not here to go through the motions. We're here to make a difference. And the only way I can make this difference is if I'm allowing the Holy Ghost to produce righteousness, peace, and joy. If you're ready to fight everybody at the drop of a hat, you probably don't have much Holy Ghost. Man, I know some people that they leave awake everywhere they go. They fight with everybody. They argue with everybody. They find a problem in every situation. And they make everybody's life miserable that's connected to them. You know those kind of people? Those people are not full of the Holy Ghost. Because the Bible said that righteousness, peace, and joy will come and be present when you're filled with His Spirit. You will not be looking to cross swords with everybody and straighten the whole world up. The world doesn't need you and I to straighten it up. The world needs an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And if they don't see that in our lives, they'll never have an understanding that it's even available. Amen. Peace. 
and joy in the Holy Ghost. So living right transpires through a life that's dedicated to God and dedicated to the ways of God. If I'm going to ever encounter the majesty of the Lord, I will do this not by taking the shortcuts. Not by taking shortcuts. How much can I get by with? What will the Lord allow, Lord allow me in? Can I do that and still get in? Listen, if you're playing that game with God, you're not even understanding what I'm preaching today. Just, just, just give me all, write it all down, tell me, listen, that's not the way it's done. When the Holy Ghost reigns in your life, He will lead you. And the Bible said when the Spirit of truth has come, He will lead you and guide you into all truth. At the moment something questionable would come up, that Spirit of truth in your life puts a check right there, puts a stop right there, puts a conviction right there, puts a feeling right there. And you have a choice to either press through it or respond to what you're feeling and say, thank God, thank you for talking to me. I need to avoid that business deal. I need to avoid that relationship. I need to avoid that conversation. I need to avoid that action. Why? Because the Spirit of God was reigning in my life. Shortcuts aren't always our best options. Well, I just want to get to the good stuff. Me too. But if I have to go the long way to get it, I'm willing to go the long way to get it because it is worth it when you get there. Amen. Our world needs to see the majesty of God. And the only way they're going to see the majesty of God is through the reflection of His people. Amen. Through the reflection of the church. And you and I have to rise up and realize this. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse number 6, He said, blessed, blessed. It's His Sermon on the Mount. It's His famous, if you will, sermon. Here this truth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. He said those that get hungry for it. Those that are thirsty for it. Those that are longing for it. I want to be right with God. I want to reflect Him in my everyday life. Oh God He said they would be filled. Their hunger and their thirst would be met by the answers of heaven as God brings about great fulfillment. It's this principle and it shows up again and again in the Scripture and it prompts us to engage, to take purposeful action in our life, to yearn for it, to desire it, to hunger for it, to thirst after it. He uses this analogy of hunger and I think everyone in this place knows what it's what it's like or what it feels like to be hungry and need something to drink. I mean, we're seven days out from our fast. and Pastor Tim started talking about it and some of you were ready to go get a biscuit while he was talking because you knew the fast was coming. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we know what it's like. I said, we, if you don't know, then join us next week and you will know. Amen. But regularly, I, I see this over and over and over again, I see people carrying around snack bars. I'm not going to look at Banji, but I've seen some people carry stuff in their backpacks and snacks and like gourmet meals. You, you, you work with people. You live with people. I mean, they prep. Madison did some... She's not here. I can talk about her today. So... She did, Lisa and I were gone a few weeks ago and Madison decided she was going to do meal prep for the week. 
And so we get home and there's all these little containers, some kind of Tupperware containers in our refrigerator and they were stacked up and I I don't know, I, I didn't even attempt to open it to see what was in there. I just really wasn't hungry for that. But anyway, she she was packing, cook, I mean, I don't know if it was chicken and rice and blah, 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 and filling it all. And our refrigerator is full of these things. And I said, babe, what is that? And she said, oh, that Madison, what are that? And the girls, yeah, she meal prepped while y'all were going. Oh, she meal prepped? Oh, great. Like a month, three or four weeks later, those things were still sitting in the refrigerator. And I said, babe, can we throw that away? I mean, is Madison actually going to eat this chicken that like she ate one meal out of the whole week deal? There, there are people that are packing meals in there. Don't want to get hungry. <laughs> they want to make sure they have a snack everywhere they go. What about the people that are carrying around literally gallon jugs? Listen, gallon jugs of water. <laughs> Thirsty, you've seen, I mean, for us it started out at 7-Eleven with a big gulp. You know, it was these little, these little bottles of whatever, soft drinks, and then it went to big gulp. Man, you can get a, can get a big gulp for three cents. Oh, that should tell you something. What, what they're giving you is killing you, so drink up! <laughs> it went from... Big gulps to supersize. Would you like to supersize that? Yeah, supersize it. And our, the fries get bigger and the drinks get bigger and then it go, then we get bigger. Yeah, and then, then it's hydro flask. Everybody's got a hydro, you have a hydro flask? Now, I don't support Yeti, but Yeti, I mean, I know some people do that. They don't like their stand on certain things. So there's certain, certain things that I don't support, but that's me and that's, that's who I am. But anyway, anyway, I'm going to spend my money. I'm going to spend my money elsewhere. But, but, but man, Yeti and Hydro Flask. I mean, you see people carrying around coffee and water and... Oh, look, thank you. Look, I didn't even see this. Listen, this is what I'm talking about. This is like 32 ounces or 46 ounces or something. She's, She's staying hydrated, amen, and I'm glad about that. So, thirsty... Hungry. We want it. Jesus said, if you'll get that way about righteousness, come on, if you'll carry gallons of water around and you'll pack briefcases and backpacks full of food that you prepped, what were you doing? Thoughtful, deliberate, planning, going to do this, it'll be better for me. What about getting that deliberate about chasing after righteousness? What about getting that deliberate to say I'm hungry for the righteousness of God. I'm thirsty for the righteousness of God. Nothing will satisfy. Nothing will help me. I'm going to start planning my week to be more intentional about prayer. I'm going to be more intentional about worship. I'm going to be more intentional about His Word. I'm not going to let this still my mind and my walk with God. I'm going, to make, I'm going to make sure that I've done these things before I ever start doing those things. Did you spend three hours a day in His Word last year? Did your kids spend nine hours a day in study, in worship, in intercession? Musicians can come give these folks hope. Ready to move on to a shouting sermon and here we are right in the middle of this. 
I'll jump way ahead and just say that taking shortcuts will never produce what God has for you. Taking shortcuts will never release all that God has for you. You can't live in unrighteousness and expect the favor of God to come on you. It doesn't happen that way. But when you live the way He has called us to live, He will open heaven wide and He will favor your life and He will favor your family and He will move you into places you've never been before. Dustin Ben said this and it hit me. It hit me and I felt I had to share it with you. He said the average movie, the average movie is around two hours in length. If you read at an average pace, if you read at an average pace, in two hours, you can read Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, are you hearing me? Titus, Philemon, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. You didn't have time to get in His Word last year? You don't have time to confirm what the preacher's preaching today? What are you filling your lives with? Because shortcuts will never get you the favor of heaven. I'll walk in on Sunday and somebody else do the praying. I'll walk in on Sunday and somebody else do the giving. I'll walk in on Sunday and somebody else do the worshiping. I'll just show up and get everything I can. Why not be a person that's saying, God, hunger and I yearn for you in the midnight hour. God, I cry out to you. When others are distracted by things that can never change their situation, I'm crying for you to save my family. I'm crying out to you to help me be a witness on my job. Help me, God, to be a light. I don't know if I have a week. I don't know if I have a month. I don't know if I have a year, but whatever I have, let it be used in reflection of your majesty. Let it be used in reflection of your glory. Let it be used in a way where people could say, that's what I'm after. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm missing in my life. That's what I want. Come on and hear me today. God's calling for the church to rise up. This world needs revival, but revival will start at the church. It'll start in our own altars. It'll start in our own places of commitment. Let's stand together. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can you be consistent in prayer? Can you be deliberate in your giving? Can you be thoughtful in your worship? Can you be determined in your attendance? Can you just say, I'm not letting anything else stop me or hinder me because someone needs to see the goodness of God and the glory of God in my life. On this first Sunday, I ask you before we pray, what will be different about your life 12 months from now?
Do I know what we're going to face? No. Do I know what we'll encounter? No. Do I know what? No. But I know this, that whatever comes, I'm determined to live for Him. Whatever we have to adjust to and face, I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to keep serving Him. I'm going to keep worshiping Him. I'm going to keep following Him. I'm not looking for a shortcut. I'm not looking to say, let me do what I want to and you still bless me. No, it doesn't happen that way. If I walk in His principles, if I walk in His teachings, if I walk in His truths, if I walk in His Word, He can't help but bless me. He can't help but fight for me. He can't help but come through for me. This world needs a church in revival. This world, this country, this city, this community needs a church in revival. And revival starts with you and I in our own commitments and in our own walk with God. Lift your hands with me all over the building right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ.